gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Welcome everybody to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retreat. I am your host today, Scott McLeod, and today we are looking back at the renegade promotion that was ECW. And for this show, I have put together the most extreme panel that were available at this particular time. Like making it your dinner with whatever you've got left in the fridge. But before we get into the panel, remember to follow Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retreat on social media, that be Twitter, Facebook or Instagram if you prefer. It's all at Suplex Retweet. And make sure to keep up with the main feed here with our usual show every week. Like last week, we had our show about Bret Hart. And next week, we'll have our SummerSlam review. It's on all good Android podcast sites, uh, Anchor, Spotify, and iTunes. And also our Suplex Retreat extra feeds with all classic shows like Saturday Draft Live, East Meets West, and some other ones. <laughs> uh, our first panelist today is pretty much the Paul Heyman of ESSR, in that he's the man behind it. And I'm not saying he's also the, a creative genius or a mastermind or anything like that. I'm just saying he oversees a talented group of workers and doesn't pay any of them either. Uh, Stephen Wilson. Ah, you summed it up pretty well. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like the Turkey Twizzlers of this group. I was big in the nineties, and then I've just made a comeback. An- Angela Bassett. <laughs> Jamie Oliver. <laughs> <laughs> And we've got a host of one of the best shows on ESSR Extra that isn't Saturday Draft Live where he meets with. He is currently engaged in a best of five series with a pair of wankers. That is... Sorry? Sorry, I'm just being handed a note here. What do you mean Ross is on holiday? Was Jack not available? Oh, fuck. Uh, Ryan Gallagher's here. Mate, it kind of sounds like you're getting wide, and and I don't <laughs> think it's I don't think it's right to get wide on a show about extreme, mate. Because I will go extreme on you. I will snap a candlestick across your back, anywhere of your cheek. Actually, do you know what I'll do? Rather than that, see this bit of chocolate that I've got here. Don't get me wrong, it's nice chocolate, but it's the hardest bit of chocolate I've ever had in my life. This would smash your head in two. So if you get wide, I'm going to lob this for you to Scotson. All right. Alright, alright, no need to. I'm not Charles Robinson, no need to. You need to play the hard man. Uh, he's getting out of <laughs> so Yeah, this week is all about ECW. And uh, we'll go back to the very beginnings when ECW didn't stand for Extreme Championship Wrestling. It stood for Eastern Championship Wrestling. And Stephen, we'll talk about first the moment where I think everybody sees as a launching pad from his Eastern to Extreme where Shane Douglas, having won a, a eight-man tournament in the famous ECW arena, beating the likes of Dean Malenko, 9-1-1, Doink the Clown, and ultimately two called Scorpio, he, he was declared the new NWA champion and then threw the belt down, declaring himself the new ECW champion. I know it's crazy. It's crazy actually to think that there was a potential chance that this moment might never have happened the way it did because I, there was a lot of talk apparently backstage that they weren't gonna they weren't gonna put the belt on Douglas. They weren't gonna give him this moment because apparently he was he was a tendency to no show stuff. He was a bit of a bad risk for a man who's named the franchise. You know, you'd think he'd be a team player, but mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's it's crazy to think it's just. Oh, it's, 
some of the biggest moments in wrestling have involved the disgracing of a belt. <laughs> you know, we've got, I mean, there was Medusa put one in the bin. There was one that happened in Ireland that we'll never speak of again for obvious reasons. <laughs> uh, and obviously this one was probably the, the first one of the lot of them. And it, it, it's it's because it had such a shift because the NWA is obviously, as we talk, these people know about, it's the old school wrestling. It's pretty much the purest form of it, you know. You know, the big guys win titles, you know. They don't care about the small guys type idea. So to then have this shift to what ECW would become after this moment is probably shook the landscape of wrestling at that time. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, you know, me and you did a show about the NWA for a while, and like we all know about the revival the last couple of years since Billy Corgan took it over. But Ryan, back here, the NWA was kind of seen as a as a dead brand at this point. And Paul Heyman in the, the Rise and Fall of ECW documentary basically summed up as ECW wanted to move away from tradition, like compared to music, like they wanted to be like the Nirvana of wrestling at that time. Well, I think he made a good point actually in that documentary you're you're talking about, the Rise and Fall of ECW on the. Uh, the WWE Network, he made a good point, he said they've still got this belt from a company that had already died and I think this was the perfect way for them to move into what they wanted to do. You know, you, we know now looking back what ECW became at the kind of height of it and that's exactly what they wanted to do. They wanted to have that extreme kind of form of wrestling, something completely different and then you basically go, okay, well what's the best purest wrestling you've got let's take that and we'll shit all over it is basically what they've done with, with this belt and if you're wanting to assert yourself as this extreme wrestling company that's the way to do it and like Stephen said you know it's, it's a thing that might never have happened but I think the fact that it did happen you know and it gave um, Shane Douglas the, the opportunity to have that moment because I think everybody else is looking at this and obviously this is before our time um, as well so we only look back at this you know kind of in hindsight but for people who were there at the time, you know, at this show, they must have been sitting going, what the hell is going on here? Like, it, it was so far from what you expected from the new NWA champion that it almost, you know, that was the catapult for them to put them into to stardom. Yeah, and it's clear that the wrestling fans at the time, especially the hardcore fans that you see in that ECW arena, wanted an alternative at the time and they were the, in the right place at the right time because the... Uh, the WWF was in the middle of the new generation era, which is filled with all these characters and that. And WCW just signed like Hulk Hogan and basically repeating everything that WWE used to do back in the 80s. So basically, this was the most kind of current wrestling, whereas the two big companies seemed to be stuck in the past. These, were the, these guys were like kind of looking towards the future. It's, it's a wee bit like what we, I'm, I'm going to say it's a wee bit like what we've got with, with ICW here in, in the past few years. Like obviously it's not on the same scale because ECW pretty much took over, but it's the same kind of idea. It gave us something a bit different um, from a time and that's why you found you know, the likes of ICW having that progression so quickly over the last couple of years. It almost went from, it was kind of simmering. ICW and then all of a sudden it just took off you know it went SEC it went Hydro a couple of years you know it reached this this mega point and I think that's you know they are based off of ECW that's where that came from that whole kind of idea is where you know ICW stemmed from so they, they set the benchmark for companies like that you know and although which we'll go on to it ultimately didn't work out for ECW as we all know but the foundations of it were still laid there for, for a company to come and pick that up all across the world. Mm. 
You mentioned like ICW. A thing that any good wrestling company needs to help it take off is a loyal fan base behind it. And ECW certainly had that. Like we even talk about it in this documentary, but you had the same fans pretty much every week and the every month in the front row wearing the same clothes, so they would be recognised. And these were ECW fans even seem to be the, some of the most dedicated fans. Uh, even in the years following ECW's death, they were still like loyal to that brand. They were they were wise in the location that they were they picked. Obviously, I mean, when you're starting a wrestling company, you do anything with the rest. You need to have a ground for it. You know, WWE in the eighties, they had obviously New York's the actual New York main city, but ECW had this the ECW arena and around about the Philadelphia area type idea. Yeah, the hardcore fan they knew exactly who they were catering for. These are we talk about it even currently now. There is hardcore wrestling locations that would WWE go to them even probably if AEW go to them if they're not happy about it they will be vocal about it and this is kind of what I say they kind of started with it and see the actual the ECW arena see when you look back on it I mean we'll talk a bit we'll talk later on about when WWE rebranded the ECW and then they, the first few shows they went back to that arena it's it's a really good style of an arena for what they were wanting to do, you know, because you have like the old school type balconies with it. It's very close into the ring, you know, and when you've got a, that type of arena where your fans are that close, it just brings a much more electric atmosphere to it. I mean, mm-hmm. Pro Wrestling Gorilla, Scott, obviously, they do it. Yeah, uh, their Battle of Los Angeles tournament, their fans are literally on the apron, and that is a red hot thing. So if you get something like that, and it, it works, but I think. He said that they were smart. Heyman was smart about it. He knew the hardcore stuff would work, but he would also chuck a lot of other stuff in there that wasn't getting done as much as it would, it would later do in a couple of years after it. And that would hook other forms of wrestling fans other than the ones who just wanted to see guys get battered over the head with chairs. See, I found yeah. it quite... Sorry to jump in, Scott. I found it quite strange watching that, um, that documentary because to me, as somebody who wasn't a, a loyal like ECW watcher and even when I get into the wrestling I've only really seen bits of ECW I've not like went through and watched absolutely everything you know week in week out like some folk do but even when you see the um, when they had to then change their business at some point and they brought like guys like Rey Mysterio and stuff like that and you know that kind of like liberty stuff I was actually surprised that they were the ones that brought them across because that's something I wasn't actually clued up on you know I, I, I thought they were I only really remember Ray, mainly for WWE, but I knew he was also WCW and stuff like that as well. But I actually never knew that he was in ECW. I never knew they were responsible for bringing that kind of former wrestling to the the US. So having that kind of mix, like you say, Stephen having the kind of hardcore but the kind of technical wrestling as well, I think that's great. That's something that would actually interest me more. You know, if that was a company coming up just now. Because if you look at look at all the guys they had, like you said, Rey Mysterio, Eddie Guerrero first got his thing in there. Chris Jericho, even he was he he wasn't like coming from Mexico. He was uh, obviously from the US. These guys first got their introductions here, and you even get the Japanese guys that were in as well. They used to use some of them too. So it was, it was smart work from Heyman in terms of getting building his audience by knowing exactly what to do. Well, you said Stephen about like the the look of the ECW. Right now. I mean, Paul Heyman even says that he knew he couldn't compete production-wise with uh, WCW and WWE because they, they were billion-dollar organizations that could afford the best production and pyro and stuff like that. He knew he probably could try and pick best and with the best kind of wrestling. And that's the thing where ECW, as many people will tell you, it wasn't just blood and guts and 
weapons, barbed wire, and things like that. They had technical wrestlers, like I mentioned, two called Scorpio, of his day was considered one of the best workers. Uh, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, Benoit. They brought in Mysterio and Psychosis, and that's why they have like such an they had such an issue with WCW because a lot of them were taken from WCW, and that's seen as their big exposure in the American market. When really some of them came to ECW first, I think that crowd in ECW, you know, like you said, the Harper fans, the people of that year will talk about tape trading, and these people would have like tape trade tape trades with like tapes from Japan, so they would have seen. Benoit when he was like Wild Pegasus or Team Jericho's work in Japan as uh, Lionheart Chris Jericho so it already guaranteed when these guys came into ECW they were going to get a great response See what you say about the uh, production side of it as well Scott I mean that one thing from a wrestling point of view you sometimes find that some companies production if it look, looks too slick it doesn't feel like it works in wrestling you know sometimes WWE have that issue currently the production is so can be so good at times is so on point, but sometimes it looks too, too like stage TV and like this. But you kind of like, I know me personally currently. See when I look back at Attitude Era stuff, you know how with the paper on the Raws after the pay per views, well they would show the clips like the main event from the night before, and they would only do the wee stills, and you just hear the noises and that type of stuff. I thought that was class. Was mm. it currently now? It's just like flash, flash, camera, camera, flash, flash. You know, uh, Kevin Dunn ego trip. <laughs> That it would call it, you know. So, even you know, ECW was kind of like a grunge type feel, and you kind of look. Even looking back on it now, you're kind of like, oh yeah, that was that's retro. That's cool. That's different. I like that. No, I like the fact that they, you know, they admitted right away they went, we can't compete, you know, with the the flashing lights and the pyro and stuff like that. So they put on a wrestling show. They get the fans involved. They keep the house lights on the whole way through. You know, there's no. It's literally just about the wrestling, it's about the fighting, it's about beating people up. And that's what the fans could get into, and that's what I would get into as well. You know, if, if I was going to that, that type of show, that's something that would interest me. You know, you see about the kind of production value and the pyro and stuff, sometimes they can mask, you know, that can make up for people who aren't very good in the ring. Like we see in, in WWE just now, there's people who we don't actually care about in the ring but they've probably got quite a decent entrance or they've quite they've got all the kind of pyro and it makes them look like a star but then they actually just let you down as opposed to just going out there no faff no hassle going out doing your work and that, and that's the end of it it's also what you're saying Scott about the the arena just to go back on it I find it really funny when people now will slag other wrestlers I think Randy Orton does it quite a lot when he slags people who who came from uh, kind of Japan and stuff like that in the indie scene he'll talk to them about you know wrestling at bingo halls and stuff ECW was a bingo hall that was a glorified bingo hall and it worked better than any arena I've seen in a long time so I don't even take that as like a as a downside wrestling a bingo hall mm-hmm. but like with a couple of years of like kind of growing the fan base and gaining the momentum that they had they eventually decided like the best way to compete is to go on pay-per-view and WWE eventually takes notice of, of ECW because the 95 King of the Ring famously thought it was one of the worst pay-per-views of all time, even though in my opinion it had one of the best, greatest endings. Big Viscera sitting on the throne. He, uh, it, it, during the final, the crowd are relentlessly chanting ECW. And so a year later in 96, in your house mind games, you have some ECW guys sitting front row and they're being acknowledged by the, the fans. And then you have them coming onto Raw and kind of feeding with Jerry Lawler. And all it's done is uh, to help promote their first ever pay-per-view, Barely Legal, in April 13th, 1997. It was, uh, it was a great thing for ECW to kind of get this exposure 
also like they debuted on Raw. I believe the Raws they were featured on were in New York, so that's an ECW crowd, even though their base is in Philadelphia. It was uh, the Manhattan Center, the one where they actually officially invaded. I believe it was uh, was it Van Damme and uh, Van Damme was on the show. Van Damme was apparently it was a way, it was good the way they worked it because they kind of had Rob Van Damme was kind of playing this whole like he'd cross cross sides, you know. He was kind of the ECW guy in Raw, but he was kind of like working with Jerry Lawler type idea with it. So it was kind of he would go to the ECW shows, he'd be the heel, and he'd still kind of be the heel on. Raw it was a weird as opposed to the other way about but it was an interesting relationship because we kind of criticise Vince now rightly so at times for not being a finger on the pulse and knowing what's going on you know sometimes many people have actually I mean even Jim Ross and Taz two names obviously Taz somebody will talk about in this show criticise Vince for not acknowledging AEW but back then you know ECW was a big thing and he was right in about that and said right I'm going to get in and get these guys involved and they kind of had this whole sort of a it was some sort of talent exchange type thing idea of it because obviously you'd have um, they had Van Damme and that type of stuff showing up on some Raws and that type of stuff Van Damme wrestled a few matches over in, e- in ECW sorry uh, Al Snow was um, mm-hmm. he was getting accustomed over there before he would actually officially sign with WWE he was trying, trying stuff as well you mentioned Too Cool Scorpio earlier on Scott he would Go to WWE and they would go back. I think to ECW. I think mm-hmm. he would actually. I'm sure he was. He went back. There's a few names I'm trying to remember. You got the likes of Draws and that type of stuff would go there too. Even obviously we're talking well back before he obviously signed for WWE. Stone Cold Steve Austin, the stuff he was doing in ECW. That's when he developed the rattlesnake type character. He would go to WWE. They'd put that stupid ringmaster character on him. But then eventually <laughs> go and they put they put him back to that. You know the, the Stone Cold Steve Austin we all love. So it was good that it was getting. WWE were using it well, they were getting these guys that they were thinking were going to be the future, kind of accustomed to wrestling on a regular basis. It's kind of similar to what they did to Evolve for a wee while in recent years as well. Yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, like you said, RVD, he was appearing on Raw and he, he teased going to WWE, he had negotiations with him. He almost went to WCW, I think it got out, with the, and the ECW fans heard about it, and that he was used to help get heat on him, and that he basically his gimmick was for a while. I'm just using ECW as a platform to go somewhere else I'll earn me more money and like on Barely Legal he's only on Barely Legal because Lance Storm's original opponent got injured he goes you see I sold out I sold out by getting in this ring tonight when I wasn't booked to begin with so mm-hmm. it was really effective to help him build Van Damme up as a, as a character because he's one of the few people who never actually even though he negotiated with people he never actually officially left ECW I think it's quite um, it was quite strange looking back on that and Vince actually getting them involved because I think as General Lawler said you know this is an odd company who we are basically promoting an odd company's pay-per-view on Mm -hmm. our show and they're like we didn't know what was happening a lot of folk actually at WWE never knew this was going to be happening so all of a sudden Next thing they know, they've got these these guys, got Tommy Dreamer, and that like sit in the front row, try to get involved. They're jumping the rails, and they're sitting going, "What the hell's going on here?" But it was smart because, again, I, I keep jumping forward. We know we know what happens with us, so it was a smart bit of business to get yourself aligned with a company like ECW, which you knew was going to be successful, but probably in the back of his mind knew that'll run its course. There's a few mm-hmm. guys there that I can poach, and it'll make me look great if I been the one that's promoted them and it's still not worked and then I've gave them a job so it's probably really clever 
forward thinking for Vince, which is something I thought I'd never say about Vince McMahon. Yeah, they were basically, for a while, you can say they were kind of an unwilling developmental brand for both ECW and both uh, WWE and WCW because as soon as somebody got big, they seemed to get poached by one of the big two and then someone else would come up. And then, yeah, and I think the issue is when we get to like the demise of ECW is that by the time they got to like 01 into 2000, they just didn't have anybody on the same level as the stars they had built before. But we'll go back to like 96 because they almost didn't get pay-per-view because of an incident that is covered quite perfectly in the most recent series of Dark Side of the Ring and the New Jack episode. And that's the, the mass transit incident. And obviously, New Jack ended up getting taken to court. And Williams, basically, that gave anybody who just had doubts about ECW all the animation they needed to basically pull us from pay-per-view. Which, by the way, which, by the way, was absolute bullshit. Like, see the fact that this is something I never really knew. Like about, like I say, I've said already. I've I've only really come across this in that that documentary when I watched it, and since then I've been back and I've looked. Um, I've kind of googled the incident and stuff like that. The fact that he got taken to court over that after it was proven that this guy had lied about his age, got in the ring, and you know that could have had a massive, or it did have a massive impact on on the company, had a massive impact on, on New Jack, but also had also had a massive impact on that boy's family as well. But the fact that you're now, you're, we're still talking about this to this day, you know, when we look back on it, it was such a big, a big thing to happen. And the fact that ECW got dragged down after that and all the stuff that happened after this, I think is really, really harsh on ECW for somebody lying about their age ultimately. Mm-hmm. At the at the same time though, uh, you look less on the UJAC side of things, I mean, you look back on this stuff, it's, it's, it's a rough incident, but you look back on the side of things, this is why I think in any sort of company that involves you know, the rigorous activity that WWE wrestling does, like so your UFC, your boxing, you need some of these protocols going on in the background, you need these type of things going on, let me check. So the fact that you get this guy who just walks in and just goes, I am such and such age. I've done this, 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 and that, and then they go, and they go, right, you're in. It's just mm. like, nah, you shouldn't. Have, that that part of things shouldn't be. Aye, um, that's mm-hmm. the thing that kind of be. Uh, be like, uh, like somebody like ten years ago, I was walked into blooming, you know, an ICW show and going like, I, 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 I do the same thing, and they just go, I you go wrestle. You, you, you need to have some sort of verification to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, when you are a company at that point in time, as ECW world, they're not fully established on the corporate side of it especially wrestling in general wasn't a corporate thing back then this is before WWE you know became a listed company on the stock exchange as well so it's a it's risk it's a risky move to do mm-hmm. and they are lucky on it but see you even what see here read stuff about it in general it's a rough it's, it sounds like a rough thing to do to any former wrestler let alone a guy who'd never actually done it before and was underage I think it was because he lied about who trained him and stuff as well wasn't it like he, he seemed to have his story pretty much nailed on to get yourself in this match like everything that he said sounded convincing you know he got trained off of this guy he, he trained under this guy he worked with this company before you know it gave him a load of a load of shite but I, I get your point it's a, it's a different time You what year was this was this 96 did you say 97 I was 96 because like, like they said December 96 the period got pulled when it was scheduled for early 97 right. through fan support that they got it back so this is 20, 24 years ago this incident happened, you know, the world was different at that point, you know, there wasn't as many protocols in anything mm-hmm. as there is now, you know, if anything now it's probably a bit too much but, you know, people are covering their backs as much as they, as much as they can, but back then it was, if, I, if somebody came to you with 
a legitimate story and, and you bought it and they were convincing about it, then, you know, it's quite easy to get caught out in that sense. Mm-hmm. And like it's very telling in that ECW documentary on the network. Paul Heyman and like thinks of Devon because he was in that match. Talk about it, but like you get no footage of it, and they try to quickly move past it as quick as possible. Aye. Whereas the Dark Side of the Ring documentary shows you basically why, because like they show you how deeply like he cuts that guy. Because like even though he lied about his age, apparently he he basically asked New Jack something, and New Jack just immediately took it as disrespect and. As you learn in that documentary, New Jack had a short fuse. So like, it's one thing to be in there untrained, lying about your age, but then you're in there with somebody who probably the most dangerous person at that point to be in the ring with, because he seemingly was so easy to piss off. That boy, Rest, that wrestled full of characters like that. Nice. Just, uh, that, uh, that boy actually died five years later, didn't he? After that. Mm-hmm. But it was, the, it was nothing related to that. It was like a gastric band operation that went wrong or something like that. <laughs> something, something stupid. It was complications to do with his, his weight, but uh, they would get their their baby. They had barely legal 1997, and uh, what's good about this is actually you, you see some behind the scenes stuff with this and the the documentary by Beyond the Mat. It came out a couple of years later. You have uh, Paul Heyman basically giving this big speech to the entire roster, telling them about how they worked so hard together and basically go out there and put on a great show. And you have uh, Terry Funk ending the night as ECW champion. And uh, to go back to like the Deathmatch show we did a few months ago, we talked about how ECW kind of took some of the concepts that were used in the Japanese Japanese Deathmatch scene, but some of that was influenced by the Texas Deathmatch scene, which was started by the likes of Terry Funk. So when you think about it, Terry Funk is the most fitting person to end that show as ECW champion, whereas nowadays people look at it and think, why is this old guy the champion of your promotion when there's so many young guys you could put the belt on? See me, see me look back on that pay-per-view card, uh... Uh, Funk has to win a, a, a triple threat match to get in that position and see if you look at the, the, him and the two guys he's in with 23 years later it just sounds horrendous it's like Funk versus Sandman versus Stevie Richards and Stevie Richards is accompanied by the Blue Mini Holly, and Hollywood Nova better known as Simon Dean when they were the Blue World Daughter <laughs> it's just like you look back at that you're like well, it's got a fantastic you know, match in it between uh, Van Damme and Lance Storm though do you see on that that triple threat though? See again, watching watch the documentary and, and you know Stevie was talking about it, like oh you Stevie, other Stevie that was actually in the match. <laughs> um, he was he was talking about being in this match and stuff. See now, see nowadays if that match happened, we would be screaming for Stevie to win that. Like if Terry Funk won that, we would riot. Like it's it's just so different how times are because we'd be going at ah, the the young guy coming through. You know, getting a chance. It's a wee bit like the kind of Daniel Bryan WrestleMania stuff on it. You know, having to go through Triple H to get to the 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 Triple Threat at the end. You know, it's, it's the same kind of idea. You, you champion the the underdog, so it's, it's weird that the Terry Funk thing was. You know, people were behind that idea more than the up and coming guy. It's also because like the champion at the time was Raven, and Stevie was kind of his underling. So it would have been a story for him to go on and then face his kind of master at the time. Mm. And you've got to think Stevie had to do a lot of the work because Sandman was probably pushed by the time he got to the ring as he was for most of these matches. And in the, the Beyond the Mat documentary, they show Terry before this match going to the doctors. The doctor talking about how basically the cartilage in one of his knees is pretty much gone. And he goes, if I get a new knee, will I be in constant pain? And the doctor goes, I don't know why you're not in constant pain now. So like thinking he got to that match with like barely any functioning knees. Wrestlers are weird, man. They're so weird. <laughs> 
Terry Funk. It's, it's unbelievable the fact that he has he retired again. I can't. I've lost. I've lost track. I've lost. You lose track. You know. We're going to get this with Campbell on this podcast. You know, he's going to retire in three weeks. You know, after he, he has a really bad first week of the draft next season. <laughs> if he's in it, and if he's in it, if he it can't be much worse than me, mate. It can't be much much worse than me. Well, that's very true. <laughs> he retired once or twice after this, and then in 06 at the second one night stand, he's in a tag match on that show. So he says he's retired for now. I wouldn't be surprised. Post-pandemic shows start running again. Fucking Terry Funk's out there getting himself booked. Uh, they'll, they'll, book, they'll, they'll be booked against like I don't know what's his face, Mad Cut or something like that, in some in, in some <laughs> British show. <laughs> so it was a, a big show, big moment for ECW this first like ever pay per view, and then they kind of start running kind of almost semi regularly these pay per views like every couple of months. And when you think about it, it's kind of a crowded market for them to be in because. WCW and WF and about to start getting really hot like NWO started we're not quite at the Austin one yet Austin's not won the title yet but he's he's getting close to there and they're running a pay-per-view every month and these guys are running pay-per-views every two or three months so if you're a hardcore wrestler fan wanting to follow everything that's going on like this is in the days pre-network we actually had to pay full price for every show like it was costing you a fair bit I definitely but they were they had this kind of run from 97 to 99 for ECW, they were red hot with a lot of stuff. And you look at some of the guys who came through there, they did. Uh, they, were, they built them so legitimately, it was unreal. You get the likes of, we talked about, uh, like said, Sandman, Sabu. I mean, these are guys who in a normal wrestling company at this point in time would have got absolutely nowhere. We talked about Van Damme, who became one of the biggest stars in the whole of the industry a, a, a decade or so later. The likes of Taz, I mean, Raven, I mean, Raven and Tommy Dreamer have one of the best feuds of the 90s of this whole thing. They're just absolutely, Raven's just, an, you look back at a lot of the moments Raven, mate, Raven had in ECW, there's that infamous moment where he, he crucifies Sandman on the same show that Kurt Angle's there to apparently sign a contract. And Kurt Angle just goes, I want nothing to do with you, Mob. I think it's, uh, that was very telling how even the, the ECW crowd went, Oh, <laughs> wait a minute! Like, see when they're going. Oh, I think you probably need to rethink what you've done there. <laughs> and Raven had to go back out and apologise. You can tell he Aye. doesn't want to apologise. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong. He does it, and uh, you have Kurt Angle. The Kurt Angle controversy around the crucifixion the same year as Mass Transit, and Paul even perfectly sums up as like, if my father wasn't a lawyer, I could never have done ECW for as long as we did, because they got sued. So many times, he, yep. he, he lived. He lived on the edge with the ECW stuff. I mean, everything he did, it was just he pushed the boundaries to such an extreme, you know. But this is at the point he was. He was. He was still in his late twenties, early thirties at this point in time. So he just. He was willing to go for it. You know, he worked for WCW at that point in time. He'd never been in. I don't think he'd been in WWE at that point. So he just thought, "I'm balls to the wall." Do I do? And you listen. Some of the stuff he actually says when he's on the. Some of the promos he cuts himself, or he just like when he goes in on the TV networks at times as well. It's like he just he's just, he's he comes across purely as a guy living in the moment with no plan. He says, I'll, "It's like I'll plan for today, and I'll deal with tomorrow." Tomorrow. Well, he, <laughs> he did say before that he wasn't the best, like kind of business-wise. He was great at being a wrestling promoter, but the business side of it, he wasn't very good at. He wasn't clued up on it. But that probably. There's 
you kind of need to be somewhere in the middle because if you understand the business, you understand what you can and can't do. Whereas if you think that you can just go in there and do whatever you want, well, she found out he did. You know, he says he never knew that the, the crucifixion thing was happening. Of course he knew the crucifixion thing was going to happen. Like, of course he knew it was, that was going to happen. That was, he's, he's backed out of it when it's all come out and everybody's been raging about it. But he knew fine well that was going to happen. But he was, he was chancing it, he was pushing it. He was seeing how far he could get and what he could get away with. Because all it, all it took was for that crucifixion thing to go the opposite way. So rather than people being disgusted by it and and hating it, people could have been disgusted by it but thought it was quite cool, like the way they'd done it. And then before you know it, you take off for there. So, you know, it's it's the kind of fine lines that he, he would tread and, and like we see, a lot of them a lot of them went tits up, right? Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned that. He tried to like, pass it off as like, oh, I didn't know it was going to happen. Well, if anything, that makes him look more incompetent. That like, he's the guy in charge of the show exactly. and says he doesn't know what happened. Like, he had to know what happened because I heard stories that it was Sandman who built that cross in his garage. So I think he was a carpenter in his day job. And he's he wasn't earning enough in his W maker full time living. And how did he get in the arena? Bring it in just on his back? Like, and they notice him bring that in, put it under the ring? No. See, when you mentioned the business side as well, I didn't really know. But see, actually, when they were running on TV, I mean, they, these guys had no advertising coming in. You know, see if you are a guy on national TV, you want to have some of they want these advertising coming in both from the network and for you, so you get a slice. So obviously, when they pull the plug on a TV deal, you've got absolutely nothing in the background. You know, yep. nothing's there. No, no wonder these guys weren't getting paid, which obviously was the thing that led them to go down the drain on doing the Swanee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, if they're doing well on pay-per-view, I mean, they go into through into 98 they have a heat wave 98 is a lot of people consider their best pay-per-view and like you seem like the next natural set would be tv but like very few networks wanted to touch them and then they got on tnn but then it seems like tnn kept basically fucking them around like they didn't like this so they didn't like that probably even claims that you wouldn't even let people say that they hated each other when they were in feuds like oh i strongly dislike you or whatever and you see paul even the same like he he looks like in the space of like two years he's age 10 like he's all unshaven, he's getting wee grey hairs, and it's also the stress of everything that's going on. And he cuts, like you said, that infamous promo where he basically threatened DNN one take us off air because they knew they were publicly negotiating with Raw uh, to put them on their network and basically said they used us as a guinea pig to see if wrestling could work on their network. Mm-hmm. Well, they, you know, they kind of did, you know, because that was that led to then Raw's you know, best ever period of time, you know, during the Attitude Era, so people, there was an appetite. You look at the figures for, you look at the figures for Raw, WCW combined in 99, 2000, they were, they were getting about 12 million viewers. I mean, last night's Raw, well, not last night, Monday night there, the time of recording, got 1.6 million, you know. So, at the time, you know, it was, it was it, they did test the waters and it did, because then Raw had that, had the, red, the edgier product there as well, so it kind of worked in that, that favour, that, that's all of that one, but, as WCW would show a couple of years later, if you want to be a long-term main player, as WCW were, uh, you need to have some sort of TV deal, you know, because you've got indie, indie companies have got, you know, they don't really, they can kind of go show to show, but when you want to run monthly, weekly, more on a regular basis, you know, you need that regular form of income, and without, especially when you've got your own branch of talent or roster, if you've just got independent guys coming time from time, you can kind of, tweak what you're doing but if you want to rely on the same people every week you know it's eventually going to mount up and 
you look at them, at your, um, some of the routes that they owed to some of the guys at the end of it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, kinda, I feel a bit sorry for them to an extent with the, the TV deal because the TV company didn't didn't help them at all. You know, no. they, they they never promoted them. They never. They, I think Heyman said that there was only the only adverts for ECW that were on that network was during ECW. It was the only time they put a trailer on for an ECW show, and it was during ECW. So they never put it on any other time to let folk know when it was going to be on. You know, putting it on during their kind of higher score, even during Raw. See, once even once they got Raw, like or just WWE in general, there's nothing stopping the, the TV company putting their trailer on for a different wrestling company that they've got in their, their programme. You know, they could quite easily do that, and that would capture. You know, if you get 12 million folk that like you say, Stephen, watching Raw, Put on one ECW advert at one of the breaks during this two or three hour show, however long it was at the time. Like, chuck on one advert, and the people will go, All right, get that shy. You know, especially, and, especially the way they were working together. You know, it wasn't like they were in direct competition. You know? Aye. It was, it was like they, were, they had some sort of working relationship. So if you went to Vince and go, It's part of your deal, we're going to stick an ECW advert on an hour or two, they'd be like, All right, fair enough. Yeah, they, they wouldn't even care because they, they'd actively try to promote ECW anyway. So it's not like it's going to make a difference to them. It's no ECW were never going to take over WWE, but they could have been more sustainable. And that's the thing, they could have been more sustainable if they got TV money, if they got viewers in, as long as they had the exposure. So the TV company pretty much shafted them, to be fair. But I liked, um, was it the, the, the kind of promo that Heyman done on on the TV deal where he was talking about the, the network? And he was basically just saying, he's like, they, they don't want us. He said, they're going to take us off soon. We're waiting to be taken off. And he properly laid it in them on his show. Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. that that just showed you, again, that's probably the guy who doesn't understand the business side of things. But at the same time, you can understand these frustrations with it as well. Mm-hmm. And then they, they voiced like, their displeasure through their storylines because they brought in Don Callis as uh, Cyrus. Basically, the network executive basically whenever they needed a heel or somebody basically stomp at a hardcore match because they knew the network wouldn't like it they brought in Cyrus saying no that's not what the network wants and like, a thing that helped hurt them quite quickly when they started on TNN quite soon after the Dudleys and Taz get signed and so they do the big angle with the Dudleys leaving and then Taz has to drop the ECW title and then right at the same time RVD breaks his leg and has to leave for like three months as TV champion, I believe they were setting up for him to win the, the ECW title and unify both belts. Mm-hmm. So, Julius Taz, the Dudleys, and RVD were about the start of 2000. And mm-hmm. they tried their best because they had like the just incredible Jerry Lynn, Steve Carino in the main event, and then you had Rhino debuting. Uh, and like he did quite a lot, but like it just it wasn't the same. And like with so many stars like leaving. Because obviously there was no TV deal, so they were doing what they thought was best for them in the long term. And like you said, without a TV deal, much like WCW, if there's no one to see your product, then it's not really going to grow. I mean, the, 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 the one as well, Scott, the one name you didn't mention, and the Mike, Mike Awesome got the WCW, that one, it really hit them as well, because he had the belt at the time. So it, it was mm-hmm. that bad that they had to, he had to go on an ECW show and drop the belt to Taz, who had signed with WWE. So you had the WWE guy beating a WCW guy for the ECW title, and then Taz would drop it. It was it, it was crazy. That, but that was the thing, you know, they weren't tied into these any contracts or anything like that at all. They were just it was it was all 
handshake agreements, agreements like buddy buddy with behaving type stuff. And as you said, they, they did, they tried, but it's always like if you lose so many of your top stars at the one time, you're gonna struggle, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. That's that was the thing with them. I think the the final nail in the coffin was the was the Dudleys. I reckon, because they they had quite a big kind of pool backstage as well. I'm pretty sure Bubba was running, you know, the kind of business side of things for for ECW as well at one point. Like, and then it got to the point where they weren't getting paid. They had to they had to look at what was happening. Um, well, sorry, they did get paid. So Dudleys were getting paid, but a lot of folk weren't, and they could kind of see where it was going. Um, and they obviously get the the offer for um, to jump ship and they goes to payment and I think I can't remember who it was they get interviewed they said the Dudleys only asked I for was, I think it was Bubba that, did it, that said that he was like if he had offered us one dollar more then mm-hmm. Vince would have stayed and yeah. Heyman couldn't do it so aye and, and uh, uh, do you know what I don't even know if it was one dollar more than Vince I think it was just one dollar pay rise you know mm-hmm. just to show just to show them that you know he wanted them to be there and he was like I can't do it he said I, I really can't do it and that's when Bubba was like this is a sinking ship. This is going down any day now. So, you know, like you say, you start losing your talent, and that's when you go you go down the the pan. But what was interesting though about the, the fact that they were they were losing money? I don't know where this money was going. And this is obviously somebody, you know, I, I'm I'm watching these these shows on this documentary, and they're talking about it, and they're going, we're still selling out shows. So we're still selling out all these shows. So how can they not afford to pay folk? Like, did they run up that much debt that they couldn't afford any overheads with that, or, or what? The liabilities. I'm reading this just here. The liabilities they had was 8.88 million dollars, and they had 1.38 assets. So they could have got rid of everything, and they must have just they must have just ran so much bills, overpaid so many wrestlers, you know. It's just a case of they just nothing was bringing that back, you know. I would think it was bringing them back if they got a, a good, good TV deal. But given the type of company they are or they were, they were never going to get the high-end TV deal. They were to get chucked on at ten o'clock at night or something like that, aye, or eleven o'clock mm-hmm. at night. Very late, late. It was like at the same time, like a lot of the guys you hear talking about, like their deals. We they weren't on official contract. They get, the amount of times you hear them say, "I was on a handshake agreement with Paul," and like. Like uh, Lance Storm said, he basically had a three striking out deal. But, like if the check bounced like more than three times, like he basically said, "I'm I'm out of here." And he did eventually go to like WCW. And like he said, the I think Paul Heyman even left a few months before he said he was officially declared dead. In the last few months, were kind of run by Tommy Dreamer. Because uh, then Heyman would show up on Raw, and he didn't go there with the intention of being a commentator. Apparently, showed up there as a creative member, and then just basically it was one week. Yeah, we don't have anybody to fill in for Lawler. Like so, oh you go. Hmm. On air, because he done come to you a little bit in, in WCW alongside JR, and then he basically goes to bankruptcy court, and it's WWE that basically has to bail them out, and that's why how WWE ends up with all the trademarks and the owning the rights to WWE. I'm pretty sure they might have spent more in bankruptcy court for ECW than they did buying WCW around that same time, and it wasn't just like Heyman and I think Heyman's parents had put quite a bit of money into ECW, so. They were basically getting their money back. Paul was getting some money back, and quite a few ECW guys got signed around that time. Rhino, Spike Dudley, Tommy Dreamer, and Raven were all coming into the company. And uh, we, ECW, is basically officially declared dead around about March 2001, around the same time as WCW. So within the space of a week or so, 
two of the three major companies are gone and WB still remains the number one company. The only company? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, until, until the Indies picked up a wee bit and Ring of Honor came in. But yeah, it was, it was, cra- it was a crazy month, that one in March. We had the, the, two of them go, the two of them go bust and we have probably one of the greatest WWE pay-per-views ever in WrestleMania 17. Because it's weird because like, there are a lot of the guys in ECW, there were some who basically knew, I'm not going to get signed by WWE, they're not going to be interested in me. And their other main alternative, WCW, closes the exact same time. So they basically, a lot of people wondering, like, what am I going to do? Wrestling, I'm going to have to find like, a regular 95 job. But uh, I wouldn't be officially the end of ECW, would see ECW back in some way, but this time under the WWE banner. But we'll be talking about that a lot in the second half of the show. But before uh, listen to uh, this little break we've got here, uh, it's Paul Heyman's promo shooting on uh, some members of the WWE roster from One Night Stand 2005. Hello, my name's Jack Graham. Hello, my name's Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. You can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasting, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to see who on the podcast has the best chance of winning the latest season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on the Suplex Retweet Extra feed on your preferred podcasting platform. I was going to take the high road and just say thank you and leave. Don't take the high road, Paul. But I have something to say to you! You see, I've waited a long time to say this to you, Eric Bischoff. But in case you don't notice, it's not Paul Heyman with his tail between his legs going to a WCW pay-per-view. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hide your wives. It's Edge! Just to you, 
since you want to shoot, cowboy. The only reason you are WWE champion for a year is because Triple H didn't want to work Tuesday. Gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. And we're back here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I'm joined by Stephen and Ryan Gallagher to talk about ECW. And when we left the, before we went to the break, we were talking about the demise of ECW in 2001. And you heard there uh, from 2005, Paul Heyman's shoot promo from One Night Stand. But before we got to One Night Stand, ECW was featured kind of... I would say prominently, but they were featured on WWE TV in 2001 as they paired with WCW as part of the invasion. Although a lot of people would be forgiven for forgetting anybody but RVD was involved in that because RVD is the one who got the, the shine. And uh, a lot of people think the death nail for ECW and the invasion was revealing. Oh, look, look at our new owner, Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, before the Stephanie McMahon reveal was, you know, no, before they hated that, you know, it wasn't, mm-hmm. you, at the time you weren't too bad, but no, you kind of, you hit the head, nail on the head there, Scott, I mean, you get WWE, but when WWE bought WCW, at the time everybody was like, oh, we're going to get all these dream matches we've never seen before, you know, it's one of the most talked about things in wrestling, the invasion angle, because whenever they thought we were going to see Goldberg come in, we thought Sting was going to come in, we thought Hogan and Nash and that were going to come back, but... Rick Flair coming back, but they were all tied into these lucrative contracts with uh, uh, TNT or, or Warner, AOL Warner it was at the time. So they, they couldn't get half these guys. So WWE realised like we're going to need to build this around Booker T and DDP. I mean, no, 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 no offence to the two of them, but they did not. They weren't at the same level as the guys I just mentioned. So they had to bulk up a wee bit. So naturally, because it just ECW just went bust, they thought let's bring these guys in, but. I, I, you realised it was a bit off when they, when they started but the guys that signed the WWE were going back across and these were the guys who were the main star power I mean that first invasion uh, pay-per-view and the ECW representatives were the Dudleys and Rhino so mm-hmm. they didn't really have any major major names who could go up against the likes of a Stone Cold Steve Austin a Rock a Kane an Undertaker so as you said the, the best thing to have came from that from the ECW side of things was 100% undoubtedly Rob Van Dam. Hmm. It's funny, that whole, um, that whole alliance thing, you know, it's some people love it, some people hate it. For me, it brought the best moment in Stone Cold Steve Austin history. Oh, yeah. oh so good. Like that's the, that's the one thing I remember. See, some dimensions the alliance. I just remember that, that clip of them all getting beat up in the ring and... Uh, JR's on commentary shouting we need Austin and he shows up in the car 
he starts beating the shit off on backstage and then the fucking the glass shatters and he comes out and I'm just like sitting and watching the telly I'm like get in I watched it today it's so good but see when, you, see when you get older and you start to think about things a bit more you're like Austin Turner makes no sense at all because yeah. he, got patched, he got patched by WCW he, he kind of he left ECW on his own but it's it's I remember the first night that actually happened. I remember when they all came out the crowd. It was Van da- it was Van Dam and Dreamer. I think it came out the crowd actually I remember at that point in time. The rest of them were kind of on the roster at that point. So they were all involved in some match. Heyman's brilliant on commentary at that point. He's just like, ah, it's a, it's we're, we're, we're invading and that type of stuff. And it's just it, it, he adds a he adds a layer. I don't really know. You know what WWE like? It's like McMahon versus McMahon. This is our thing. But they could have just stuck Heyman and just left Heyman as that role, you know. Mm-hmm. And he was working for Shane, you know. We didn't even have Stephanie in there, you know. Stephanie we didn't have to, you know. I don't understand. I still don't get Stephanie in that, you know. I don't like. I don't like. Especially Triple H was injured. If Triple H was there. They could have had something, you know. But mm-hmm. yeah. like on the Raw, was there sort of Raw where ECW showed up and then Heyman gets involved and everybody seems enthusiastic about it. And then I think for on that same row, they tease it's going to be ECW, WCW, WF all going at it. And then they say, oh, by the way, WCW and ECW join forces. And then people are like, okay, that's still interesting. And then Smadden say, oh, yeah, now Stephanie's here. And people think, so it is basically like McMahon's against each other again. And like he said, like, oh, quite a few of the ECW guys still felt like the WF guys because they've been there for a while, like the Dudleys, Taz, Raven. And then. You have WAF guys who have no connection to really, you don't really have much of a connection to WCW, or if they did, they got treated badly there, like Austin. And they barely even talk about Austin's ECW connection when he turned, and they have like Christian and Kurt Angle joining, just because they're heels, so all the heels must be associated with the alliance. And like you said, RVD is probably the best like guy who got a spotlight because he, no mercy, 2001, he's in the main event. Uh, triple fair with Austin and Angle for the title and like, I think it was a show like he's one of the true stars they made because like Booker T got kind of fed to The Rock and DDP got fed to Undertaker and they weren't brave enough to push on Stasiak as they should have <laughs> still falls on Twitter so he does uh, Van Dam, even before that match at No Mercy Van Dam and Jeff Hardy have mm-hmm. a great set of matches it's the best match on that Invasion one is day two, and then they have a subsequent ladder match at the SummerSlam after it. It, it kind of made Jeff as well, because we still kind of really just knew him as a tag team wrestler at this point in time. So to put these two guys together and then they would they'd go into team a year later when Van Damme became a, you know, was on a regular on the WWE roster. You know, it's, it's ECW, it, it's, it kind of sums up because ECW did build stars in a way, and then they went to WWE and nothing really happened with a lot of them. So is the exception to the rule and we look I would say he's still going strong but mm-hmm. is he really going strong? <laughs> <laughs> I find it quite funny we're a bit move on to it as well um, Scott with the, the whole one night stand stuff but just touching on what Stephen was saying about, about Stephanie getting involved and stuff see if WWE were smart about it right they could have quite easily kept ECW after they bought it they could have kept ECW in its form had the backing, you know, financially to, to pay all the guys and stuff like that and have have that as your kind of NXT, which we see now, you're kind of developmental. 
back in the day, that's when they could have that they could have done that. They could have kept the ACW arena, the ACW name, everything about it, just with WWE money in the back. You know, the same the same crowd. Keep Heyman in charge. You know, just keep him a wee bit more in line so he doesn't get you thrown off TV. But ultimately, keep him in charge of that um, and still run ECW. And that could have been your feeder ground at that point. You would have had a great fan base for that, and it would have been well ahead of the time because I mean how long after this did it take them to get actual NXT up and running like, over 10 years properly to get it up and running they could have done this years ago mm-hmm. I think they didn't have the they didn't buy the assets which included the video library until 2003 I think they just signed the, they just had the contracts of the wrestlers mm-hmm. so they, I don't think they could have fully went through it and I think they didn't really realise the potential of it until the one night stand the first one night stand and even then when they didn't know the potential of it they didn't know what to do with it as we you know we'll, we'll speak about it yeah like you said like not officially buying like the assets yet that's why when you have the the invasion you've only got like the wf titles and like the wcw belts that they brought over nothing really dcw you don't have the ecw championship involved because also they couldn't have it involved yet and when you think about it ecw is technically responsible for bringing in the the big SmackDown Fist entrance because you had the moment where, where the Oval entrance is retired because Rhino gores Chris Jericho through it because Stephanie Man has set Rhino on Jericho because he keeps making jokes at Stephanie's expense and then that brings in the big SmackDown Fist and we've been mentioning that Rise and Fall of ECW documentary and it's the success of that documentary and the DVD sales that is credited with the idea of W thinking, well, maybe there's still an appetite for ECW, and they bring ECW back for one night stand. Yeah, it seems like it'll be a one-off pay-per-view, and it's weird. Like it's only four years on since ECW closed. It's weird to have like nostalgia for something that hasn't been gone that long. I think it's a product of the time because in the mid 2000s, it was felt at that time with the lack of competition, WWE got very kind of complacent, and it really tried started to irritate a lot of the, the hardcore fans. It's uh, this one night stand, I remember it at the time. It is one of the best pay-per-views I ever remember watching at that around about that time. This is all if you ask a lot of wrestling fans who get into it in the attitude there, the kind of 2006, 2007, 2000, that kind of late that decade was the point they were kind of like Oh, this is a wee bit naff, you know. <laughs> so, but they had this, and it was it was good because you had they brought Joy Styles back. Not really mentioned Joy Styles, but he's a, he was he was just a, he was a screamer. If you look back on him, he just screamed in the mic, but it worked. Uh, they put him with Mick Foley as well, which kind of did the part and part of it. And you had you felt like it seemed like they were doing stuff on the show that were like genuine angles, that type of thing. We had the uh, Lance Storm and Lance Storm like faking retirement type idea and then doing a, doing a swerve on Jericho you had super crazy being super crazy you had the the match between Awesome and Tanank was it Tananka that pretty much I Tananka that the crowd were shitting on it at the start and then it was like an absolute world class match it's a shame obviously they did they did they do not forget the ECW crowd with Mike Awesome but it's just they, they, they were quite clever with it they did the hardcore stuff in the match they brought back a bit of nostalgia and they combined it with their current programming as well with this whole stuff with the the invading WWE stars that promo that we last had at the break with Heyman you know it's one of the finest promos that's ever been cut in wrestling 
the lines he was doing on it, you know, just screaming Matt Hardy at Edge. <laughs> and the, the, the line to JBL, it's like, you're only champ, you were only champion for a year because Triple H won't work juices. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, it's so good. It's, it's everything combined in it. We got Stone Cold at the end as well. It's really funny. See, looking at the the card for for One Night Stand in two thousand and five, um, and then then you skip a year to the card for One Night Stand in two thousand and six. They've just totally given up on it. Like the the first year, you're thinking brilliant. It's like ECW guys that are in it, superb. But then you go to the next one. It's like Kurt Angle and Randy Orton. <laughs> like, why are they on one night stand? Um, who else was on it? Uh, RVD, uh, RVD and Cena. Fair enough. Um, Edge and ta- Edge and Lita. Um, the Taz versus King for the millionth time. Aye, I mean they it was just, only they just threw that in every blooming time. It was all like, it was like a summer thing. It was like a cup thing, you know. I know, but it was. Um, aye, it, it seemed like they just kind of. They had the good moment in 2005, and then as as we've become accustomed to, WWE just made an arse again the following year. You know, the, the Cena stuff was good because the reaction scene I got was brilliant at, at one night stand in the second, uh, 2006, because the crowd were pure RVD loyals, and Cena is polarizing at the best of times, but even then, at that point, he was getting abused. There's an iconic moment at the start of the match where Cena does his usual. He goes to throw his top into the crowd, and the crowd just chuck it back at him. So it's like, oh my god! Could you imagine if Cena won that match? Oh, he would have made it out of the building. He wouldn't get out. He would not have got out. It's it's absolutely nuts, but. I think, as you said, I mean, this is the kind of point. Like, the year before, it was like, right, we've got a DVD. We brought this documentary out. We're going to do this pay per view and try and make a bit of money off of this. And see. But because it was so universally praised, it was kind of like, could we do something with this? I know. And that, that obviously, just going out the pay per view, it was announced it was coming back as a third brand, that type of stuff. Kurt Angle had been announced as a member of the brand, then subsequently left WWE like a month later. <laughs> which didn't really make work. So it was kind of like, right, this is going to be what the thing is. We're going to need to do something with it. But I think, as you say, as you both said as well, myself have said, it's like they didn't know what to do with it. There was so many conflicting stuff. Vince wanted to do one thing. Apparently, Shane wanted to bring it back in the way it was. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of like conflicting things. About it. And it's just like, you know, as we saw in the, the year after this and then the years to come, it just kind of, it was no, it was, they just didn't know what they were doing. Nah. Like, the thing with Shane, he wanted to be like an internet exclusive show, which wasn't really a thing at the time. Would kind of a lot of companies are doing that, being internet exclusive or being exclusively on a streaming service, because they were allowed to make keep ECW kind of the feel of what it what fans loved about it. A couple of things I'll say about O Five, like it's a great slice of nostalgia. The two negatives I have about the One Night Stand O Five is the fact that they put Benoit and Guerrero kind of quickly, quickly after the Heyman promo because the fans are still chanting up at the balcony and not paying attention to the match and you can tell Guerrero's kind of not caring at this point and also it's hard to listen to Joey Styles' commentary during the Mike Awesome match because he's still quite bitter about how Awesome left at one point he says about Awesome taking his own life and then 
considering Austin died a few years later, it's kind of hard to look back on. And the thing with 06 is I think they decided, okay, we're making this a third brand. So they, so they used One Night Stand to kind of set that up. And like, so you like, they felt like, oh, we need WWE guys to build it up and give it more star power. Uh, to say about the, the one that's the main event of that show, the John Cena match, I think it's one of Cena's best matches. And it's very similar to the punk match in a lot of ways in that we can say about how Dewey made mistakes by never turning Cena heel all we want. But I think if he wasn't so polarizing, that match and the match with punk may not have been as good as they were because the fans are integral parts to both of those matches. Yep. See, looking now in 2020, when he's not as active as he, as he was. You look back on Cena, and you're like, we we wasted that man because he is as a as a character as when he when he wrestled, he can wrestle. You know, he was he was polarizing, but he got a reaction. He was mainstream. It's like you look back now, and you're like, I think we could do him. We could do him back at, at times. You know, but yeah, you're right, Scott. If he didn't have that polarizing reaction, this would just been having an RVD having a standard match. Mm-hmm. Up would not be as big. You know. And it's, it, it, it would not have been looked back on the same way. Uh-huh. And then ECW makes its debut on Sci-Fi. RVD looks like he's finally got that moment that he should have gotten already, where he's ECW champion and the WWE champion at the same time. He originally was going to throw away the WWE belt, but he jokingly went, "I like this one. Look, it spins." And his potheads are easily amused, apparently. And then obviously he got the he got pulled over from possession charges and had to drop both belts. And a, a clear sign of what how WWE was going to handle ECW was on the first episode of the Sci-Fi Edition, the first match in big quotation marks was the Zombie versus the Sandman. Ah, oh, the Zombie! You know, <laughs> oh, it's, it's, you look back on it and you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, you get you get the Sandman. Sandman makes sense, you know. Even though let's let's be brutally honest, by 2006, Sandman was. Bollocks. Mate, see, to be fair, see, to be fair, Sam Am is bollocks towards NDCW anyway. <laughs> like, when you look back on it. Ah, like, uh, yeah. He, 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 was... he, he, he took bumps. You know, I, I watched the... I, I watched... The, he's got a very enjoyable match in WCW in 99 against Bam Bam Bigelow. It's actually quite good. And Spring Stampede that year. But he's... Um, he was, uh, it was, it's, it's a hardcore match. They battle lumps with each other. Uh, but... <laughs> He was his entrance. He was always the entrance because that's Scott. You mentioned earlier on. He came. He, he, he was. He was pushed by the time he got to the ring. He was pushed. <laughs> he was gushing for the heat. He was. I'm surprised he could walk, go anywhere in. The point that WWE drafted up the Raw. It was like, why are you putting him, this guy, anywhere else in your product? <laughs> if you're gonna if, either keep him there or put him, but uh, uh, they eventually put him. But, oh, sad. Man. Well, the, the best part about him was his entrance, and WWE did, weren't willing to pay for Metallica. They gave Sam Man his most ge- the most generic music you've ever heard, so you could even enjoy his entrances anymore. WWE bombing cut Madonna when they put IC we put ICW on the network, so you can't really be surprised there. Mm-hmm. But it's just like there was so much stuff that they did at the start. They were try they were I think they were trying to bridge the line, and it didn't really work. it didn't really work the way it said because they had they had the Kelly Kelly debut with Extreme Expose. Literally no. took the words out of my mouth there, mate. <laughs> took the words out of my mouth. I was going to say two words, both the same word. Kelly, Kelly. It was uh, <laughs> as a four, I, I was fourteen when this came out. When, when, when was this? Two thousand. Two thousand six. Into two thousand six. 
I was I was thirteen. Uh, I think. They were they were going to an audience, and then <laughs> it was it was a case of like we've got this guy Mike Knox. How can we make everybody hate him? There we go. <laughs> Good looking bud. I mean, at the, at, the, at the time, you know, obviously, it's, it wouldn't be, it's, it's, it's not a thing for the current era, but at the time, it was like, it was risky, it was on the edge. Teenage, you, teenage you know kids. You know what was funny? See, when I was 13 watching this, right, somebody who didn't, I, I didn't quite understand the whole kayfabe thing that was going on at the time, I genuinely thought she was going to date one day. I genuinely thought I was going to see it. And that's why I watched it every single week. I thought, this will be the week that it will happen. <laughs> It fucking never happened. They, they went really crossover one week. They brought Candice Michelle in to do it with her, and uh, that's when right. I think that's what I think. I don't. Somebody showed up and barred Mike Knox that night. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Sandman. Was it Sandman? I think uh, so, yeah. And then Kelly... Mike Knox. Then Knox went to a partnership with Tess for some reason. They put they put Kelly Kelly was a weird partnership. You mind the point she was going out with Balls Mahoney? <laughs> I mean, of all the people, I mean, there's. there's we know personality does make a difference. We can, I can speak for that. <laughs> Brian, you can speak for that as well. Shut uh, your face, you. Shut your face. <laughs> but you just kind of look at it. You're like, hmm. It doesn't really look like a personality guy, balls. No offense, but nearly like, Mike Knox. To be fair, I don't know how. I don't, but I, it's it, 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 it's an example. They were trying stuff, and it was like it wasn't working. And at the same time. They were, they were still, you could see they were trying to build something. I mean, the best example is CM Punk and ECW that mm-hmm. I heard of this. They were trying to build something there. Yeah, they, yeah, they tried stuff. I mean, Punk is a prime example. And like, Heyman especially wanted to make Punk the guy of ECW. And we come to one of the biggest uh, failures of the WWE run of ECW, which is December to Dismember. I mean, we talked about the main event in our Elimination Chamber history show. But like, the best, the fact the best match on the show featured no ECW guys. It was the Hardys versus Eminem, which is a solid opener. But like, and you've got Davari versus uh, versus Tommy Dreamer and Paul Mahoney, as we mentioned, versus Matt Striker and, and what Striker called an extreme enforcement of the rules match. <laughs> and he even wanted Punk to win the chamber. He wanted to choke Big Show out and have Big Show go out first to make the to think, God, we're gonna have a new champion. And Vince went, yeah, but Bobby Lashley's big and has big muscles. And I think the thing that the thing that annoyed uh, a lot of the hardcore ECW fans is they had the angle where they took Sabu at the match and mm-hmm. replaced him with Hardcore Holly. It's just like, <laughs> and the match was pretty much other than Punk. It was and man, you could still class Van Dam as an ECW mm-hmm. guy, but it was mostly the WWE mid card of the early of that decade. They had Test, they had Hardcore Holly, the Big Show. Or the big slow as he was then time because he was absolutely could barely probably lift his horns or on his body. Uh, but you always think, you know, with these type of pay per views, they try to do the nowadays the pre show match, they try to make it a good one to entice you in. Uh, the dark match from this pay per view was a man we talked about in the first half, Stevie Richards, taking on Rene Dupree. <laughs> when they tried to make Dupree like the phenom of ECW back then, it's like. You, so the previous was a guy that were like, we want to do something with you, but you have zero personality and you can't wrestle. Do you know, this was You're obviously, French. this is back in about 2006, December 2006. And I'm just looking through the, the card just now and a guy I f- totally forgot about, Kevin Thorne. Man, mm-hmm. mind that guy. 
That's just literally like a less scary Baron Corbin. That's like a pure nobody character. <laughs> do, 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 do you remember who he was before Kevin Fox? Is it Mordecai or something like that? Mordecai, I was, I was, <laughs> I was amazed at these two guys were the same. I remember, I remember that debut. It was like, was it Judgment Day two thousand and four or something? Uh, like that? Yeah. Something been awful, and then he was, he was gone in a week. And then the year after, they thought, right, he's not getting over as much. What are we going to do? Let's cut his hair. Yep. The thing about the Mordecai thing is they stopped it because, like he said, oh, you're being too much like Undertaker, and the whole purpose of bringing him in as Mordecai was to eventually have him face the Undertaker. <laughs> So. The other guy on this card that uh, tried the thought was great. He, he'd actually maybe work in the current day that UFC's a bit more. It's Sylvester Turkai. Mm. Do you know, like an MMA type fighter type guy. Uh, they put him Elijah yeah, Burke, like and Elijah Burke got so much more over than he did. He was huge, wasn't he? Big Sylvester Turkai. Oh yeah, he was big. Big brute of a boy. Uh, think about the main event, like we thought of it. The, the fact they had to be an extreme chamber as if the regular elimination chamber wasn't enough because they'd only done a few before this and as a thing we see they suddenly felt we need to put the word extreme in front of everything so like oh, this era of ECW is what gave us the extreme rules match and eventually led us to getting extreme rules of the pay-per-view because like every week it seemed like every time the title was online like the extreme rules match he had showed defending the title against like the, the Undertaker Ric Flair Batista in the Hammerstein Ballroom where their fans chanted change the channel right, uh, it's, uh, they, they, they would try and chuck their big names from the other shows at it but it was just like we don't want to see these guys on this show it's funny mm-hmm. Stephen you, we're talking about how how shit they done with, with ECW and stuff like that and the, the crossover and you mentioned uh, Stevie Richards there against Rene Dupree I've just realised mate that was a dark match so it wasn't even a, it wasn't even a match. <laughs> like, you've got a, an ECW show, an ECW pay per view. You've booked somebody for ECW on it, but you don't put them on the main card. Mental. Stevie Richards um, got Stevie Richards got quite over at one point in this form of ECW. I think he was feuding with Hardcore Holly mm-hmm. around about this time, and he got quite he got he did get relatively over because he was one of the guys in there who could. He could technically still go to an extent, you know, because when Sabu and Sandman came over, they were done. They were absolutely gassed. So at this point, it was just like, he could have, they could have chucked him into the original stuff they did, like mm-hmm. in, the, in the start of the next year. And it may have worked as opposed to who they put in it. He had Sandman on the card coming out to attack Mike Knox or the Karen Thorne after their tag match. And like, why not just put Sandman in the chamber? like? He can't do much, just bring him out his spot, have him do a few spots, then get eliminated. At least you've got someone from ECW in the chamber match, but... One thing they did do quite well, I think, in some regards is... They did, they just used this as kind of a developmental brand, like NXT would be. And they built new stars. Cause like, you look at the people who got their start in the WWE, so we mentioned Punk and the things he going to do. Miz and Morrison started their tag team on ECW. He had Kofi Kingston. Seamus debuts in like June of 2009 on ECW. Is like that when Kofi was? Is, is that back when Kofi was Jamaican? Aye, before he was. Yeah, Canadian. Aye. yeah he, was, he, was, he was Jamaican on there. <laughs> he was Jamaican until <laughs> I forgot he was Jamaican. <laughs> Triple H called him it. <laughs> <laughs> he had a Seamus debut in June 2009, and by the end of the year, he's the WWE champion. He also had guys kind of going there for a short while, kind of give their career a bit of a boost, like Zack Ryder's first singles push. Within ECW, he developed these kind of broski character. 
Sailor uh, Benjamin developed the the gold standard character on this brand. He had Mark Henry getting a bit of a run, finally getting a major title-ish. And who could forget how much ECW did for Viscera with the wee debuts, Big Daddy V. That's two Viscera mentions in one show. Oh, that, 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 his get-up did him absolutely no favours. <laughs> is that when he came out in his jammies? No, that was it. That's when he was the big. That's when he was the world's largest love machine. Oh, I think Danny okay. V was when he had like just the the straps and his. Oh, it was his straps and the nipples, wasn't it? Aye, uh, everything was everything was flying out of him there. Oh my god, Scott, I'm surprised didn't mention Kane. Oh, I <laughs> Kane won the title in like eight seconds from Chavo Guerrero at WrestleMania. Right. Do you know what? Think- it's, it's really weird because I, I never properly watched ECW at a point this was when like I could only get a wee bit of wrestling because I never had Sky properly so I couldn't actually watch it that often um, but it's one of those words I, I feel like I kind of fell away from it for a wee bit Re- even wrestling in general I think at this point I kind of fell away from it and then when I came back and I realised everybody who had been like ECW champion I'm like that's fucking that's random but it was so random like Kane Vince like all these, all these guys oh, having like title runs you know what I mean and then to be fair I remember at the same time where I then came back to wrestling and found out that Undertaker had got another world championship and at this point I thought Undertaker was already on his way out in general and then I came back to wrestling and I found out he was a champ I was like okay <laughs> the, the best the best one's still uh, you mentioned Swagger though the best one's the Christian the Christian thing's brilliant <laughs> you can't Christian Christian. <laughs> this guy who's like one of the best tag wrestlers you ever had. They went away to TNA and became one of their best stars. He comes back on ECW. It's like let's bring let's bring this guy onto this brand to make it something big. And then it's just like they just they just, they slap it in the face, you know. But <laughs> that's, some of the names you mentioned. I mean, one of the ones that didn't get enough uh, was it William Regal stable. They kind of mm-hmm. got a, they got a decent run down there, and eventually they gave uh, Ezekiel Jackson was the last champion. Exactly. Uh, like, but he looked like he was going to become a next big star, and then they gave him a chance, and it's like, yeah, I like Ezekiel Jackson. Oh, he was right with Robert. He's just a uh, good guy. Oh. I, I, I liked him. I thought he, he was. He was, was Ahmed Johnson. It's like Ahmed Johnson went in a time machine, and then. <laughs> Just nah. came back and tried wrestling. He had zero charisma. They had him with Barrett and the core. And Barrett was a mouthpiece and it worked for him. But then they thought they'll chuck him in by himself. And it's just like zero charisma. Barely can wrestle. It's just like, oh, we've messed the boat here. It was the same in ECW. Uh, Regal was his mouthpiece. And he was getting, he was at the, the heavy for Regal. I think Kozlov, was Kozlov in that stable as well? Yeah, and then they kind of uh, kicked Kozlov out. That was another one, man, Kozlov. That's somebody they could have. Remember, they came out in pure decimated Triple H in like 10 seconds. Like, properly could have done something with him and then just totally ruined it. Like, it, he didn't even have any music, didn't he? Know? He was one that had no entrance music. Oh, well, he, just, he just came out, smashed somebody, then left. And I'm like, you could have done so much better with that. And then he become a laughing stock. <laughs> Eventually, I'm like, he's just ruined it. I remember anything about Kozlov. I remember watching an episode of Punisher over a couple months back, and there's a scene where he's fighting a bunch of Russians at a gym, and Kozlov just pops up in the background, like <laughs> fucking jacked. And somebody, it's weird when you look back in ECW, like the people who passed through there. There's a guy you wouldn't recognise from how he is now, because he had short hair then, he hadn't uh, grown out his uh, murder hawk yet. Uh, Van Sarcher, as he was known then, one of my draft picks who didn't win the TNT deal when he fucking should have. Not better at all. Uh, they had 
what was it? Uh, Chris Harris for TNA went there. Oh, and he did. Uh, they did. What was his name again? Oh, Brandon Walker. Right, and he they made this fight. Like he'd obviously came over for TNA. It was a great time. This son, I thought we went out this and they showed up and he put on a bunch of weight and he's looked out of sorts and I'm just like, oh no, we should have signed James Storm. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned ECW Jackson. I've got to mention the last ever episode of ECW because they announced the debut of NXT. Uh, what happened the week after uh, ECW having the same time so it started the reality show and then on to the next team we know now the final episode of ECW featured that Extreme Rules match where Jackson beat Christian and won the ECW title making the last ever champion uh, the only other two things that on the show is an episode of the Abraham Washington show which is just a bunch of the ECW mid-carders and guests and the show opened with Showmiz defending their unified tag team titles against Goldust and Yoshitatsu. Oh, Goldust. Goldust. Oh, my God. Uh, Abraham Washington, that's a, that's a, that's a rough one. That's, he's a, <laughs> that's rough to look back on with him. You know, <sighs> my God. What, I remember actually... What an idea. <laughs> I remember actually watching that final episode of ECW and they bit this big promo package that started like, after 20 years, ECW is finally over. And, like, and a lot of people's ECW was over a long time ago. It was just, it's finally being put to rest. But sadly, even though ECW was barely in the ground before it could even properly decompose, the courts was dug up by TNA, who did hardcore justice in 2010, and then just brought back a bunch of ECW guys for called EV2 and put them in a feud with uh, Ric Flair's Fortune Stable. The most striking thing when I was watching this at the time was seeing that Sabu was now bald. Oh, it's, it's like when you look at Shawn Michaels now, isn't it? <laughs> don't it's even go on. Um, don't don't get me started about Shawn Michaels, man. Just not the, just, just <laughs> not the still same. annoyed that Braun Strowman copied your look, Ryan. I know. What's that about? <laughs> they did literally just have the same. They had the same guys, pretty much, didn't they? I think mm-hmm. the only guy who had any sort of benefit from EV two was Brian Kendrick. I know he was the most random addition, like. He had, like no connection to ECW whatsoever, and then he randomly wore a white hood for something thinking he was some sort of wizard. <laughs> they had um, was it the the ultimate ECW and TNA guy in there, and Pat Keeney or Simon Diamond. <laughs> he was in that stable, right? It's like you had all these guys: you had Van Dam, Dreamer, Foley, Raven, Rhino, Simon Diamond. Okay. They <laughs> <laughs> like, did like Hardcore Justice, which is basically like a, a shitter version of One Night Stand. Like the whole show was under this weird blue light, and and then like yet the fact that they hired New Jack in 2010 was just a sign of the quality of that. And then at Bound for Glory, the biggest show of the year, these ECW guys beat Fortune with AJ Styles taking the pin. What's uh, uh, what's quite funny, Stephen? You're saying about Simon Diamond there, and I, I had literally just looked up the same thing. He's just I clicked on him, and it says that he was in ECW from 1998 until 2001. Talk about missing the fucking boat! <laughs> like, how do you how do you fall into that category when you were there at the end of the sinking ship? Like, it already been it been good and it was finished by that point. It's, there is some there's some names on that card you mentioned, Scott. I mean, CW Anderson, WWE brought him in. He he wrestled on um, he wrestled on NWA just at the end of last year, start of this year. So he had a crazy tenure. They had what's his uh, uh, brother Runt 
obviously, that was spite Dudley, so they tried to bring all these guys, and they also brought in, they brought Balls Mahoney in. <laughs> and he was, but they didn't have his name, so they had to call him Cajones. <laughs> Who has the Cajones to face me? I mean, it's, it's, when it comes to having to change somebody's name for legal reasons, it's better than some other examples we've seen over the years. I know, it's a bad, it's a bad one. So, so you're playing bloody pro evolution soccer, isn't it, man? <laughs> you're like Ronaldo, better spell R I N. Like, like when Billy Gunn first debuted for TNA in 05, they had to call him like the Outlaw for a while mm. before using his actual name because they couldn't call him Billy Gunn. Steve, Stevie Richards was on this card too. Ah, uh, big Stevie Richards. B, uh, PJ Peluso. Well, it's just <laughs> incredible. Oh, I've got a good story about Justin Kreble. I was, uh, huh? I remember when I was younger, I was in A1 Comics and I wanted to buy buy a wrestler, one of the wee, um, wee figures, and remember in A1 Comics up the town, it was like the whole back wall was full of wrestlers, and I remember what, looking and I was like, oh, just incredible, oh, I want to get that, like, that's class, and my mum literally slagged me rotten in front of everybody in the shop for wanting to buy a guy called Just Incredible to the point where I busted greeting and left <laughs> to leave the shop because she embarrassed me in front of everybody. She's like, Just Incredible? Are you buying something called Just Incredible? For what a stupid name that is, I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> don't, mess with, don't mess with the X Factor. Aye. <laughs> He's one of those names that took me longer than it should have to figure out what it was meant to be. <laughs> like, like when you first realised what Paul Bearer actually means. <laughs> Is he not the guy that forced Raven to quit TNA back in like 2005-2006? They had all these guys I'm sure that came in to face Raven, He I think he was the guy that beat him. It was either him or X-Pac, one of the two. can't remember, it was that long ago. <laughs> Random fact. I'm going to look this up. I do remember he was called Aldo Montoya for a while, he had that big yellow, what people refer to as a jock strap on his face. For a while, uh, in the I new do. gen era. I do remember that actually. I- uh, no, no, no. Uh, he um, uh, he was one of the guys that uh, they brought Larry Zabisco brought in to try and beat Raven and make him exit, but Raven beat him, and it was uh, it was X Pac and beat him. Random fact of the show there. <laughs> I think we're talking about Justin Grable longer than it's probably acceptable to be talking about. But well, anybody has ever talked about Justin Incredible on a podcast? <laughs> Apart from Vince Russo's, which he's on. <laughs> but, uh, as we're kind of wrapping up here, it's all about, you can also see the influence of ECW in places like ICW, which we've heard people call, like I said, ECW with an accent. Got Tommy Dreamer started House of Hardcore, uh, which is kind of blending a lot of the best good elements of, uh, of ECW. You've got CZW, obviously, kind of taking that thing, the, kind of, the deathmatch kind of icons kind of, in the, kind of over in the US. But... Yeah, what would you guys kind of think is the the legacy kind of of ECW? I think it actually started off this show, this show by pretty much cementing the legacy. You know, talking about the legacy they've left in terms of you know ICW, CZW. That you know, companies like this. This is a company in ECW that it was a flash in the pan almost you know it wasn't about for very long it pushed the boundaries it gave you something a bit different but ultimately didn't work but the company didn't work the concept did because that concept that they had you see bits of it now and still in WWE when they have their kind of what they call hardcore matches now you know your kind of no DQ matches and stuff it's not the same idea but they probably set the set the benchmark for that kind of stuff ICW like I, I kicked off by saying as well you know 
you said they're Scottish, it's ECW with an accent, and that, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's modelled on ECW, and the fact that ICW have been so successful in, in recent years shows you there's an appetite there for ECW, and it also shows you that I think if ECW had received the backing for that, that TV deal that they got and they got a bit of money behind them, you probably see them as a driving force these days. They'd probably mm-hmm. be a, they'd be up there with the biggest companies because it's you look at AEW just now, you know, and it's not the same kind of idea, but it's a, a, a new wrestling company. It's doing something a bit different and it's got money. It's been backed by money. And it just shows you if you can throw money at something, you get the product that that you get for that. So, you know, t- Tony Khan's putting putting all his money into an AEW. They're bringing in all these big stars, but it's working. You know, the fact that they've they've now done, but somebody said they've done more shows without a crowd than they've done with a crowd now at AEW, and they're still going. They're still sustainable. They're not on the way out. They're bringing new folk in. You know, if ECW back in the day had that, you know, kind of support behind them. You probably find that they would have just shot up, you know. Probably, probably not same level as what WWE is at, but it wouldn't be far off it. I think what they often say in general, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So I think the legacy of ECW you kind of see when we see any form of wrestling in any, you know, any promotion. Somebody does something crazy where they go through about twenty-five tables, they get whacked with chairs and everything like that. The crowd go ECW, ECW, ECW. So the fact that they were able to do something, as Ryan said, they, they may have not been as successful as they should have been. Because let's be honest, they were only properly around for a good, you know, seven years maximum. But the fact that people still remember them, remember everything about it, you know, anytime any of these guys show up in companies, you know, it's an ECW chant to do, you know. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the likes of these guys, the fact that they can go in anywhere and they get that type of reaction, you know. It just shows that they did something, and the fact that you know, the, tr- the fact that anybody would try and do it again, I think is the thing. Because nobody's going out there and doing Shockmaster retakes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, no one's doing that type of stuff. You know, for all the bad stuff you get, for all the zombies out there, you know, that type of stuff. You know, people will still look back and think, you know, Joey Styles got absolutely crazy at the top of his lungs. People remember it, you know. People remember those moments where, you know, Taz became champion, you know, Rhino became champion of that company. That People remember the point where Jerry Lawler was ripping them on WWE and they would show up, you know. The fact that they have some sort, that people will look back and nostalgia to them, you know, 20 odd years later. It's just, it's, it's a sign that they did something. And it resonate with people, you know, that area that they're in, it's still a hardcore, you know, they know what they like and they've not diminished as a form of solid wrestling ground. So, mm-hmm. and it's one of those areas that you look on. If you talk in America, the wrestling crowd, you've got New York City, the main bit, you got Chicago, and you've got them. They're the three ones that you would look at, they're the crazy crowds. Mm-hmm. I think the best thing you can do with me, CW, is that uh, if you are in wrestling or in any type of field, if you have an alternative to what the major leaders or everybody else is presenting, then there probably will be an audience for it because, they, like I said, WWE and WWE we were kind of family friendly, so they were the hardcore alternative. And, they, and it shows that they struggled when WWE started to become more attitude-based and, and then they took some of those guys to help with that attitude because, like, you can see the influence in, in WWE in the later years in the Attitude Era. 
So like you said, like when WWE and that weren't like them and born those influences, they were hotter because they had an alternative and like Ryan's WWE, it shows that pretty much in any field, especially wrestling, there's always room for an alternative and people look at it in some ways as a failure because it went out of business, but like in the years since uh, Bubba Ray and uh, Paul Annabelle said it probably wasn't meant to last as long. Probably it's a miracle that it lasted as long as it did, but it changed the game. While it was around it, it had an impact. It's still being felt today. So that is the biggest kind of takeaway you can take from it. The fact that we're still talking about it, we're doing podcasts about it today, given that it's been dead since like 2001, but we still have people still have fond memories of ECW. Uh, that is all the time we have for today I hope everybody has enjoyed our discussion of ECW and if you have a different opinion on what you think the legacy of ECW is let us know on social media that be Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Suflex Retreat or join our community page where you can discuss things like ECW and all sorts of wrestling related topics with other like minded folk and even some of us here on the podcast and you can subscribe to Eat Sleep Suflex Retreat on Anchor, Spotify and iTunes and all good Android Podcast and Sites. You can tune in to next week's show where the Terry Funk of ESSR, David Gallum, will be hosting a SummerSlam review show because he just can't stay away, can he? <sighs> can he go? Can he go? Like a bad, it's, like a, it's like a bad rush. Just keeps coming back. And he left in season four. He could even wait till the end of season five before Buddy coming back, could he? <laughs> he just loves the attention. He's an egomaniac, mate. That's all he is. He's an egomaniac. <laughs> But speaking of like the draft, Saturday Draft Live on Super HP Treat Extra feed or on the, all the same Andrew podcast that you can find this feed on. So many other good shows like, uh, for, I know I joke the other, but anyway, back to the wrestling. Good show that. Port, good show that. With, and all sorts of other stuff. But uh, until then, anyway, thank you, my panel. Thank you, Ryan. Welcome. And Stephen. Thanks, Scott. Pleasure. And I've been Scott McLeod, and we'll see you. Ladies and gentlemen, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents Suplex Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions! Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple, and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now!